Hi, I'm Val Hart in San Antonio, Texas, founder of Val Hart and Friends at ValHart.com. Welcome to The Real Dr. Doolittle Show, the show for animals and the people who love them. I've been called a real-life Dr. Doolittle many times in my career as an expert animal communicator, behaviorist, pet psychic, and master healer. My mission and passion is to improve the lives of animals the world over by helping humans learn how to speak their language, how to understand their viewpoints, and heal. After all, our love of animals helps us be better humans, and the more balanced and healthy we are, the more balanced and healthy they can be, too. Be sure and look for my CDs on iTunes, and to find out more about my work and to receive your free Quick Start Animal Talk course, just go to my website at valhart.com. While you're there for a limited time, you can also apply for a complimentary Happy Animal Assessment Session. And if you want to learn how to be your own Dr. Doolittle, check out the world's first complete Animal Communication Made Easy system available now on my website at valhart.com. Thank you and enjoy the show. Hi, I'm Val Hart, the real Dr. Doolittle, and today I'm talking with John Perkins. He's the founder of Dream Change. John Perkins is the New York Times bestselling author of The Secret History of the American Empire and Confessions of an Economic Hitman. He was the chief economist of the international consulting firm Charles T. Main, the founder and CEO of Independent Power Systems, which is a U.S. energy company that was committed to producing electricity with environmentally beneficial technologies and which revolutionized the utility industry in the 1980s. He's the, sh- the chairman of the board of the nonprofit Dream Change, an organization dedicated to creating more aware and compassionate societies and to helping indigenous people around the world protect their cultures and their environments. He served as a consultant to the World Bank, United Nations, and Fortune 500 corporations. He's lived and worked in Asia, Africa, Europe, Latin America, and the Middle East. He's studied extensively with indigenous prophets and shamans and has taught at universities and learning centers on four continents. He's also been featured on ABC Television, the A&E History Networks, Time, Italian Cosmopolitan, and L, and many other publications in the Americas and in Europe. He's a graduate of Boston University School of Business, and he served as a U.S. representative to the United Nations International Atomic Energy Agency in the 1970s and in the Peace Corps in the Amazon and the Andes during the late 1960s. His other books include Shape Shifting, The World is As You Dream It, Psychonavigation, The Spirit of the Shuar, and the stress-free habit. Welcome, John. I'm so glad to have you with us today. Thanks, Val. It's great to be with you also. And I do want to mention, because I think probably some of your uh, audience is familiar with the Pachamama Alliance, and I'm also a co-founder with Bill and Lynn Twist of the Pachamama Alliance and on their board, and we, 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 we're serving about 40 countries right now, another wow. nonprofit dedicated to creating a sustainable, just, and peaceful world. So I just wanted to throw that in there, too. I'm so glad you did. You know, you're you're doing so many amazing, wonderful things, and I want to hear a lot more about all of that. In fact, you told me just a moment ago you just got back from Guatemala. Do um, you want to talk anything about that uh, to get us started? Sure. My uh, co-facilitator, Lynn Roberts, we do shamanic and shape-shifting workshops together around the United States and Canada and Europe and other places. And lead trips, and we we were just leading a trip to uh, to the Mayan, the Guatemala. It, it revolved around the prophecy of 2012, and we visited sacred sites in Tikal and Atitlan and Antigua and Chichicastenango and many other locations with, with this group of people that we were taking for, as part of the prophets uh, conference. And uh, you know it was it was phenomenal. This is this time of the prophecies of 2012, of course, which had come out of the Mayan lands. And so we devoted a lot of energy to really exploring uh, the issues around the prophecy, what it really means, where we're headed, what we can do to impact it. I'm so glad you brought that up. That's one of my questions. Let's talk about the Mayan prophecy then of 2012. I know we're rapidly approaching that point. Um, can you give us some more insights on what you expect to happen? You know, I know the Hollywood version is a doomsday into the world kind of thing. <laughs> um, and I know, I think you can tell us more about some of the events that were foretold 
and help us see them in a more positive bent. Yeah, the, the Mayans, for the Mayans, it isn't a doomsday scenario at all. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting because one of the sites we visited at Tikal is called the Lost World. It's a huge um, pyramid, laptop pyramid that was used for astrological reasons and probably built about 900 years before Christ. It's very, very old. You know, this takes you back before the, you know, before Julius Caesar, before Christ, before uh, so many of the things that we that we sort of date our world around. Wow. And even back then, uh, the, it, it appears that the Mayans were forecasting this is an amazing time of transformation. And today, the, the modern Mayans that we work with, at least, but, and, I, and I've been working with Mayan shamans uh, since the 70s, mm-hmm. um, they all say that December 21st, uh, 2012, is, is just a date. It's, it's kind of a, a marker, uh, sort of like January 1st, 2000. You know, everybody expected the computers were going to shut down. Mm-hmm. And oh, and yeah. Mm-hmm. Nothing like that happened. But, in fact, a, a significant change has happened. We had 9-11 afterwards. We've had huge world-changing events, recession. The world is changing. Yes. But the Mayans that I talk with see December 21st, 2012, in a similar vein. It is, in fact, a time where, from their perspective, uh, the sun passes into the center of the Milky Way, what they call the dark rift of the Milky Way. And so that's how that why that date has significance. But as far as uh, changing the world is concerned, they say, you know, we're in it now. It, it, it's not going to happen on that one day. It's a process. And it's, it's been going on for the past 12 or 13 years and will continue. Uh, and it's a time uh, where human beings have the opportunity uh, to rise to a new level of consciousness, uh, to bring heart and mind together, male and female, and, and really develop into a new level of consciousness. And they do say that if we don't do that, uh, then we're likely to have some pretty severe consequences. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, tell us about dream change and the work that you're doing there, because that all fits into this, doesn't it? It does, and in a way, it, 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 the, the the Mayan way, the Mayan prophecies are are great kind of a microcosm for the macrocosm of what we're doing and what is going on in the world. That dream change, we work with indigenous people on many, many different continents, uh, uh, Latin America, South America, Central America, Siberia, the Asian steppes. We've, we've taken groups into Africa and Europe and Canada um, and the United States, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it's all about changing the dream because many years ago, uh, I was told by a Shwa shaman uh, deep in the Amazon rainforest that if, if we want to save the, the Amazon rainforest, which I was telling him I wanted to help him do, mm-hmm. um, then we've got to change our ways, that we're the ones destroying the rainforest, not his people. Mm-hmm. And that it's not just our it's not it's symbolized by our oil companies, our lumber companies, our cattle ranches, but the real problem is our dream of the world. And these shamans will tell us that, you know, we've had a dream of tremendous material success, big buildings, and lots of industries, lots of things to buy, lots of cars, mm-hmm. and that we've given that dream energy. And whenever you give a dream energy, it materializes. Mm-hmm. And so this dream has materialized. But now we're understanding that it's turning into a nightmare. And the way to, t- to change that is to change our dream. In other words, to change consciousness. Okay. Uh, to dream of a world that's, uh, that's uh, guided by sustainability, uh, peace and justice, and prosperity for all people. And not necessarily the materialistic prosperity, but true prosperity for everybody on the planet. Okay. And so that's really what Dream Change is about. It's a, it's also what the Pachamama Alliance and the Awakening the Dreamer program that we've developed there and is now in over 40 countries is about. And it really is is what the prophecies of the of the Maya are about. Before the Maya start any fire ceremony, they the, the shaman draws a circle in the ground with sugar. And through that circle, draws a cross, uh, which is east, west, north, south. In each of the four quadrants of that cross, he or she, we work with women shamans and, and men shamans, uh, places a dot at each of those four quadrants, and then a, a big dot in the very center of the cross. Those four quadrants represent the four times in the past when human beings have practically gone extinct. 
Wow. But each time, the shapeshifters have helped humans come back from the brink of extinction. And it's interesting that each time, they've enlisted the help of animals. So, for example, one time, uh, human beings were, were, were being threatened to be destroyed by water, very much like our biblical flood story. Mm-hmm. And the shamans taught people to shapeshift into fish. And when the water receded, we shapeshifted back into humans. Another time, we were threatened destruction by a rain of fire from the volcanoes. And we shapeshifted into birds in order to escape that and then back into humans. Another time, we were threatened by huge winds, hurricanes, and we shapeshifted into monkeys that could hold on to trees and keep from being blown away by the winds and then back to humans. And they say that now we're in the fifth time, that center of the, of the cross. They get the four quadrants that represent those four times. Then the center of the cross, which is now. And they say that this is the first time in human history that we've been threatened by ourselves. Yeah. This isn't nature on its own uh, speaking out against us. This is our own. We've caused the problems, just as the ancient Mayans caused the problems that, that, that caused their civilization, essentially, as, as it was then, to vanish. Uh, and that the only way that we can change this is to shapeshift our consciousness, to uh, rise to a new level of consciousness. Okay. Let's talk about shapeshifting. Tell, tell a little more about shapeshifting, and if you can give us pointers to get us started uh, so that all of our listeners and all of us can begin to practice um, or at least begin to go in that direction. Can you speak to that? Yeah, I'd love to. You know, um, Lynn and I teach workshops on shape-shifting, and one of the things we start off by saying is we really can't talk much about it. you got to experience it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Our workshops are very experiential, and if people are interested in coming to one of them, I'd really encourage that we, we do them all over the United States, and you can go to dreamchange.org mm-hmm. or johnperkins.org to find out more, but DreamChange.org has everything listed. Um, okay. And uh, so, what you know, we take people through this experiential process, but the core of shape-shifting is to realize that there's, there's really kind of, you could call it three different kinds of shape-shifting. One is physical. Uh, we, uh, we've seen shamans shape-shift into jaguars. We've seen people at our workshops uh, at Esalen and Omega and other places that have shapeshifted into snakes in, in front of everybody's eyes. It's very powerful stuff. Wow. Um, but a more common form of physical shapeshifting that we all know about is, is aging. That's a physical shapeshift. It takes a little bit more time, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Uh, people get cancer. And that's, a, that's an interesting shapeshift. And people who are cured of cancer sort of miraculously, that's another shapeshift. Wow. Uh, we have many different forms of shapeshifting physically. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the second type of shape-shifting is, let's call it personal or emotional shape-shifting, something we're, we're more uh, familiar with in our culture. It's what, you know, it's, it's when you're getting rid of addictions or you're encouraging yourself to be more of what you really want to be, a better writer, a better painter, a better mm-hmm. spouse, whatever. Uh, we spend a lot of time on that. That's what psychology is all about, mm-hmm. to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. And the yeah. third type is institutional shape-shifting. Something that we desperately need today because I think we all understand that our institutions are failing us. We need to change them. And we see examples of that all the time. I mean, the fact that today we have the Internet uh, and cell phones. That's created an institutional shapeshift unlike anything we've ever experienced before in my lifetime. Monumental. For the first time in human history, everybody on this planet is talking to everybody else. And they can do it for free. Yeah. Instantaneously. Yes. I mean, that's a, that's a remarkable change in, in our institutions, that, that, you know, the cell phone and the Internet. Yes. So there's these three types of shape-shifting, and sometimes they all go together. But the key to shape-shifting is to recognize that when you have a dream, or you could call it intent, or higher purpose, or mission, or whatever you want to call it, if you have something that you want to accomplish, you give it energy, and it happens. Because everything is driven by energy. You know, we are made up of energy, in essence. Uh, and everything is driven by energy. And when we give things energy, they happen. And we, we like to distinguish uh, in our workshops between uh, dreams and fantasies. And we say that fantasies are things that you would like to imagine, but we don't want to give real energy to because we don't really want them to happen. Mm-hmm. We just like to imagine them. 
Mm-hmm. The dreams are things that we really want to have happen. And the problem with a lot of us is that we give our energy to our fantasies. Uh, and then we get something we don't really want. And we also don't get what we do want because we haven't given our energy to our dreams. And I'll give you a, a, an example. A woman at one of our workshops went off and came back a year later to another workshop. And she said, you know, I had a terrible experience. She said, I when I was here last year, my dream was to win the lottery. Mm-hmm. And I gave it a lot of energy, and I won the lottery. Wow. And it made me miserable. It was not my dream at all. Uh, everybody came after me for money. I gave a lot of it away. I got into all trouble with, my, with friends and family and so on and so forth. And I, I talked to her for a while, and what we what came out of it all is we discovered that her fantasy was not winning the lottery at all. Her fantasy, I mean, that was her fantasy, to win the lottery. It, it was, yeah. Yeah, her real dream was to have more prosperity in her life, but to earn it through her work. She was an artist. And what she had felt the year before is that if she won the lottery, she would have the freedom to paint. But in fact, by winning the lottery, she she was busy all the time trying to figure out what to do with the money, how to protect it, you know, a, a flurry of activities, and she didn't paint. Mm. And so she had what she had done is given uh, given energy to a fantasy mm-hmm. instead of really exploring her real dream, which was to make a decent living as an artist. And that's okay. kind of typical of what we're talking about here. So it's really important for people to zero in on what they really want in their lives mm-hmm. and then to give that energy. And I think we can look at that as a culture. And that's what the prophecies are about, the, 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 prophe- the Mayan prophecy of 2012, the the uh, Andean prophecy, the eagle and the condor, the Tibetan prophecy, the 14th Dalai Lama, etc. You can go on and on and on. Every culture has prophecies that this is a time of tremendous transformation. Mm-hmm. And what it's saying is we really need to look at what we want as human beings. Do we really want more wars? Do we really want economies based on wars? Do we really want more trinkets in our lives? Do we really want to see... Uh, half the world on the verge of starvation are actually starving, which is what's happening today. Well, well, 5% of us live in the United States and consume about 30% of the world's resources. Is that the dream that we want? Mm-hmm. I don't think so. Yeah. I think we all know that we want something very, very different than that. And so we now have to start really giving energy to this new dream. Okay. Wow. Speaking of wow, so... Part of your work here is in your organization called WOW, W-O-W. That is actually putting legs to or or action to the dream. Is that correct? Yes. WOW stands for Waking Our World. Okay. And again, the corollary at the other nonprofit, Pachamama, is Awakening the Dreamer. And in both of these cases, uh, what we're doing is helping people to really look at what their true dream is. Okay. A personal dream and a collective dream. And then awakening that, that dream, um, awakening our, or waking our world uh, to this new dream. And, you know, when you really get people to start thinking about this, I mean, we, we all may have, have some very personal dreams, uh, perhaps a better relationship with our with a, with a, with a, somebody of the opposite sex or the same sex, mm-hmm. with a partner, a better relationships maybe with our children, perhaps uh, better careers, better jobs, uh, some health thing that we're, we're dealing with that we want to get taken care of. Mm-hmm. Those are all very, very valid. But beyond that, and, and in fact, usually those tie in with the larger dream of a world that's sustainable and it's just, socially just. Yeah. And where there can be prosperity, and that can be defined in many different ways, but true prosperity for everyone. You know, Val, I, I have a three-year-old grandson. He lives about ten minutes from me. I'm very fortunate for that, that I get to spend a lot of time with him. Mm-hmm. And every time I'm with him, his name is Grant, and every time I'm with him, um, you know, I think about what this world is going to be like when he's my age, yeah. six decades from now. And you know, if we stay this course, it's going to be pretty horrible. And we all know that. Yeah. So we've got to change it. And what we have to recognize is that my grandson, Grant, can't inherit 
a good world, a world he'll want to grow up in, unless every single child, every single animal, every plant, every sentient being on this planet inherits that kind of world. We get to realize that my grandson's world is totally tied with the world of babies of all species growing up in, in Botswana and Bolivia and Indonesia and Palestine and Israel and every country and every remote corner of this planet. We are a very, very fragile species living on a very tiny planet. This is a space station we're living on. Mm-hmm. But unlike the space station that our astronauts build, this one doesn't have any shuttles. We can't get off it, despite the movie Avatar. Mm-hmm. We can't get off it. We can't go mine another planet. Uh, and so we've got to do something different. We've got to change the dream. So we're talking about a changing the dream, changing the consciousness, the energy, not just for ourselves and our personal lives, but also for our world. And you also talk about the concept of parallel worlds. Let's talk about that for a moment. Can you bring that concept into play here so that we can borrow perhaps uh, some answers or draw in some different consciousness energy? Uh, t- let's talk about that for a minute. Can you bring that correlation um, in so that we can understand it better? Yeah, there's all kinds of, you know, parallel worlds that we we can feel and sense. And having just come back from the uh, Tikal, amazing uh, Mayan site in the mm-hmm. Yucatan Peninsula, the Patan Pen region of, of Guatemala, and being there with Mayan shamans. You could really feel that parallel world. That the spirit of those people is still very much there. Of course, the Mayans still live today. They still speak the Mayan language. There's actually about 22 dialects of Mayan that are spoken in Guatemala, oh, wow. Mexico. But, but they, they, you know, they made a decision back uh, hundreds of years ago to abandon those cities. Uh, they'd been this, this vision. This Vast cities, many, many of them, millions of people live there. These great pyramids, and they really supported a very hierarchical st- structure. The pyramids were symbolic of the society, and that there were a few wealthy people sitting at the very top, and everybody else down below was doing all the work. It's a lot like what we've got going today um, mm-hmm. in, in this world, where a very few wealthy corporate leaders. Um, are sitting at the very top of the of a worldwide global pyramid, and everybody else is down below. Most of us in the United States are actually fairly high up on that pyramid. The people down at the bottom of the pyramid, the vast majority of people on this planet, actually have already are already experiencing doomsday. They're starving. Mm-hmm. They're suffering from cholera, AIDS, and dysentery, and, and overpopulation, and terrible, terrible pollution. Mm-hmm. Their doomsday has arrived. Mm-hmm. And I think the Mayan foresaw this. It's what their prophecy is all about. But when you're there, you can feel that parallel world. You can feel them speaking to us, saying, don't make the same mistakes that we made. That's very much a parallel world. When I'm in the Amazon with people like the Schwa, living deep in the Amazon, who live very close to nature today, deep forests, and and have many spirit guides and believe that they reincarnate as, as animals and trees and have been animals and trees before, you feel very much those parallel worlds. You feel the, the world of the jaguar and the harpy eagle, the anaconda, of the ant, of the ayahuasca plant, of, of all the plants. Mm-hmm. And so we're at, at all times, we're in this parallel world. And we're in a world where, where truly the past and the future and the present are all happening at the same time. Sometimes it's, it's very difficult to grasp that concept. But... Here's something. I had an a, a astrophysicist on a trip with me in the Amazon so long ago, and he said, you know, this is an interesting concept because from a scientific standpoint, if I went 200 light to a planet or a, a star 200 light years away from here, mm-hmm. and I had a powerful enough telescope, I could stand on that, that star and look back down at the Earth and see exactly what was happening here 200 years ago. And therefore, he said, it's it's still happening mm-hmm. somewhere in the universe. Everything is still happening. 
somewhere in the universe. So the parallel worlds are, are very much there. And, uh, you know, we can feel them if we tune into them and learn from them. And and uh, that's, I think, part of what human knowledge and, and wisdom is all about, is really learning uh, from all the parallel worlds that surround us constantly. So all of that is around us at all at the same time, and I love your description of it, which is that, and I like the way you think that, that you described it, so it helps me understand and make that more real as a, as a, what am I trying to say? Uh, it, it helps me see the perspective. So in other words, from alternate perspectives, everything is in fact still um, all at, happening all at the same time, just depending on what perspective you choose or what angle or, or place you view it from. And we can, in fact, cross worlds or um, tap into other knowledge and wisdom um, and learn, like you said, learn and don't make the same mistakes that have happened um, in other other areas and time. Did, yeah. I, did I understand that correctly? But you did, and I, I, I think you, you expressed it eloquently, and I think that the challenge here is, is for us to actually do that. Yes. And, and not get so hung up that, you know, with the scientific arguments about things. And, well, you, you know, know, you know the left brain, it likes that. <laughs> well, yeah, and that's part of, you know, the, the prophecy of the eagle and the condor. We talked about the prophecy, of, the Mayan prophecy of 2012, but another one which is similar is the eagle and the condor. Uh, which says that, uh, and this this prophecy incidentally came out of the Amazon and the Andes probably something close to 3,000 years ago, okay. thousand years before Christ or so. We, we don't know exactly when. But at that time, it was foretold that human societies would divide and, and take two paths. One would be the path of the eagle, which is the path of uh, the brain, the mind, science. Oh technology, industry, perhaps you could even say the masculine path. And the okay. other path would be that of the condor, which is heart, intuition, feelings, emotions. Perhaps you could call it the feminine path. And that they, these two parts of society would, would, would go off in different directions. But that in the fourth Pachacuti, Pachacuti is Quechua word for a 500-year interval, fourth Pachacuti would begin in about 1500. And about that time, the two would come together and clash, the eagle and the condor, and the eagle would be so powerful that it would practically drive the condor into extinction, but not quite. And, of course, we know that's what happened after Columbus, 1500, 1492, 1500. Uh, the scientific, uh, rational, <laughs> industrial people of the world so practically fun. drove the indigenous people into extinction. Yeah. But the prophecy then goes on to say that in the fifth Pachacuti, 400 years later, year 2000 more or less, uh, we would enter a time with the opportunity uh, for a huge transformation where the eagle and the condor could fly together in one sky, mm. dance, mate, and create an offspring, the, the Quetzalcoatl from Central America, that in fact represents a, a, a higher form of consciousness, the union of heart and mind, of the feminine and the masculine, of emotions, and intuition and the scientific industrial, and they, they, this opportunity is here to come together. Uh, but the prophecies always say that it, it, it isn't. They, they don't say it will happen. They say it. We have the opportunity, but we, the people, have to make it happen. And these prophecies are very clear that it must be we, the people. It can't be our leaders. We can't look to leaders to do this. And of course, we're seeing this very clearly, whether we have a extremely conservative Republican President Bush or a very liberal Democratic President Obama, we still continue with basically very, very similar policies. It has to come from we the people. The prophecies are very clear about that. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I think all true changes come from we the people. You yeah. Know, we have to have leaders. Leaders are important. They're rallying points. They're... They're the ones that, that help us inspire and, and, uh, bring the vision together. You know, it, it brings us together. Uh, leaders such as yourself, right? Um, to bring the message out, but then the people are the ones that have to actually do it. <clears throat> mm. Yes. And, and I think this is particularly 
point in time, because I believe that you can look historically and say that a few hundred years ago, mm-hmm. uh, churches, religions ruled the world. Uh, and then governments pretty much took over. Yeah. Um, and there were different governments. There were totalitarian governments, and there were republics, the democratic governments. And in those, the latter, like ours, um, laws were written by the people, in, in essence, by, by, by people who were elected by the people, uh, representatives. Mm-hmm. True, yeah. true representatives. Yeah. And today I think we can say that we've moved to another stage, which is what I call the corporatocracy stage, where the big corporations are calling the shots. Yeah. And laws are no longer written by representatives. They're written by lobbyists, by the yeah. corporations. They pass through the hands of our representatives, but basically our, our representatives are, are hacks, are paid for. You know, get the, 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 the campaign chests are, are filled by big corporations, and they're beholden to them. So we've moved into this third stage from religion uh, to uh, government by the by the, the, the to, to, to govern government being governed by by governments by elected officials or in case of totalitarian governments by governments there to a situation where today it's the corporations and even countries we consider totalitarian basically many most of their policies are dictated by corporations with the possible exception of North Korea but even China today is very much dependent on the policies of the big corporations. Mm-hmm. So now the question is, where do we go from here? Yeah. And I think that the answer has to be that it has to really be a new form of, of uh, governing that recognizes that we, the people, truly have tremendous power. And we need to look, uh, organize ourselves along local communities to a certain degree. Uh, but we also have to recognize that we're in a very, very interrelated world where we're yeah. all very interdependent, mm-hmm. and move into a sphere that's truly driven by a recognition that um, what would we don't necessarily want more money or more material wealth. We we want to be sustainable, and we want to live lives that are prosperous spiritually, as well as comfortable materialistically, and just lives where none of us is living off the exploitation of other people mm-hmm. or animals. Or plants or nature of any sort, but yeah. exploitation just isn't part of the picture. Yeah. Well, I honor and support that mission and vision. Thanks. While we're while we're talking about animals, let's go ahead and and give that some focus. All so, right. how do animals fit into the indigenous and shamanic practices? Um, what messages do they have for us? Why is listening to them important? Can you speak to that for a moment? Yeah, you know, from a, a, an indigenous perspective, most indigenous cultures, I'd say practically all of them, uh, believe in reincarnation. And reincarnation isn't just about being human. We've reincarnated as animals at different times and will continue to. And in fact, many indigenous cultures, the Shwa, the Amazon, the Achwa, the Quechua, many others, feel that the human experience is not a very pleasant one. Mm-hmm. That we come here as human beings because we have something important to learn from a member of the of the animal uh, kingdom, mm-hmm. the human, uh, that has great power over everything else. More than any other life form on this planet, we are able to destroy things very, very rapidly, and create things. Mm-hmm. So there's a learning process here. But many, many indigenous cultures will tell you that if you die young, that's a blessing because it's been, it's been, cho- it's been indicated that you don't have to go through that learning process. You can be a jaguar or a whale or an ayahuasca plant or a pine tree. Um, and you, you don't have to go through this human experience. Wow. And so the teachings of the animal world and the plant world are very, very important in these in these uh, cultures. You know, I had a, a graphic reminder of that last week when I was in the jungles of, of Guatemala around Tikal and I was uh, doing a dance, if you want to call it that, with howler monkeys. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's these, the monkeys are very interesting because they 
try to, they like to play with people mm-hmm. to a degree, but mm-hmm. they have their own territories and they recognize that if people go into these territories, they're likely to cause problems. Mm-hmm. And so if you kind of cross that border and head into their territory, they let you have it. <laughs> the height of the tree, they, they throw everything at you that they can get their hands on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Including, you know, their, their, their own, uh, their own products. Yes. <laughs> Monkey um, weight. And, and, but you know, on the other hand, if you, if you play with them and, and you allow them to sort of come into your territory, they're most fun and they'll, they'll let you, you watch them and, and, and the way they can, and the amazing job they do of swinging through trees, especially the young ones that can't go from, you know, tail to hand with, the, the, the adults just almost always have a hold of something. Either their tail has a hold of a branch or their hands do. Or mm-hmm. Babies have to leap to the air, you know, to keep up with the adults. This, they have to take these huge risks and have total faith that the adults are leading them mm-hmm. in places where they will be safe and where they will go. It's wonderful to watch them, and they're such great teachers. But, boy, you step across that boundary, <laughs> and they let you know, listen, this is not the territory where human beings are supposed to be. Right. This is You're- monkey You've not been invited. You're an unwelcome guest or right. trespasser. You're an invader trespasser. I, I find that asking permission can often make a big difference. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So there's a good concept there for we humans who are typically unaware, you know, just blundering through, um, not paying any attention at all uh, to what's there before us and what um, is in that space. So when yeah. we go to the space, if we are conscious and aware and we ask permission and we connect and we honor the space, you know, and have a communication, you know, connection there, uh, then we can shift it. But you're right. I mean, uh, we don't want invaders in our territory, right? So That's why right. would they, why would they want us stinky people in their space too? Right. Sense to me. <laughs> and you know, Val, that point of asking permission is so poignant because uh, uh, we, when we go into sacred sites on these trips, uh, we always form a circle and do a little ceremony and ask permission of the site. Mm-hmm. And in many of these sites, there's, some, there's a guardian. Like, for example, with yes. Nepal, there's a huge uh, kapok tree, immense giant tree that guards the entrance. And you go up to the tree and you put your hands on it, your heart, whatever feels right, and you do, and you ask permission. And we do a little ceremony there as a group. Well, we went in, and, and Lynn Roberts, my co-facilitator, usually leads me. She's wonderful at doing this work. Mm-hmm. And, and last week in, in a Shimshe, a, a, a highland Mayan site up in the, up in the, up in the mountains of, of Guatemala, we were going into this site and we were all going to get together to do or ask permission. And just as we were forming our circle, we heard this thud, this awful noise, and turned around, and one of the women in our group had actually climbed a small temple before asking permission. Oh, jeez. And she fell. It, yeah. <laughs> Extreme <laughs> agony. wasn't thrown well, off we of got, it. We, we got an ambulance and got her to a nearby clinic. Oh, wow. She, she dislocated her shoulder, and, and uh, actually it was a, it was a, not the shoulder, uh, well, anyway, we don't need to go into the technical, but she was in a lot of pain. She t- turned out fine. But, you know, the Mayan people came around as this was happening, and, and we were at, about to do a ceremony after we'd done our own permission circle with a Mayan shaman, a woman shaman in there, mm-hmm. and talked to them. And they said, well, of course, yeah, you know, you, she, she, she should have done that without asking permission. Yeah. And, and she knew that, or she should have known that. We, we talked about a lot. We always ask permission. Yeah. But people make mistakes. And they're oblivious. And that's part of consciousness, too, is yeah. being, she was unconscious. Yes. She's just kind of wandering, and uh, these things happen. And so it is, you know, I, yeah, I love your point. It's very important to ask permission of animals, of sites, of yes. plants, whatever it is. Right. I know when I work with a lot of animal problems, you know, uh, animal, you know, horses that are attacking and biting or kicking or, you know, uh, dogs that bite, cats that scratch, any of that kind of thing, a lot of it comes from the very premise that the human thinks they have a right to control the animal, to put their stinky, you know, hands on them, to, you know, all that stuff. And the animal saying, no, you didn't ask permission. You didn't talk to me. You're not respecting me. And, and, and once we do that, then the whole relationship shifts, 
you know, everything changes. Yeah, right. Yeah, so critically important. And, yeah, here's, a, I think, kind of an interesting story that um, there's a community in the Amazon, Schwa community, that I spend a lot of time with. And um, when I first went to one of these communities, this community is Pangits, which means anaconda, hmm. um, I discovered that there was a, a huge anaconda uh, living in a pool nearby. Now, this was a pool that had been a, an amazing swimming hole. Everybody liked to swim in it. Well, not only anaconda lived there, they couldn't swim in it. Mm-hmm. And anacondas can make a horrible noise at night. It sounds mm. like, like a big pig. Oh. It's a little frightening and it keeps people awake. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't, an anaconda is not necessarily a pleasant neighbor to have in your... <laughs> no. <laughs> And I said to the people, have you thought of trying to do something to move the anaconda or drive its swimming hole for a while so it will move? And they looked at me with horror and said, wait, no, of course not. This is our ancestor. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, this is one of us. Uh, you know, the spirit of one of our, we don't know who, but the spirit of one of our <laughs> ancestors is in this anaconda. We may be there one day. And the anaconda has as much right to that swimming hole as we do. Yes, that's correct. Mm-hmm. And so we'll live with it. We'll live with it. And I thought, God. How different is that from what, we, what would we do in the United States? You know, right. we'd probably kill it. Uh, you know, we'd probably right. bring in some official government agency that would kill it. Mm-hmm. Or maybe they would catch it and put it someplace way off away from everybody. But they certainly wouldn't allow it to stay yeah. in the swimming hole. Yeah. And I think that's a, you know, I think it's a very beautiful story that these people say, well, no, we, we have to live with it. Yes. We have things to teach us. Yes. Yes, I love that. Mm. Oh, good, good point. Okay. Um, you talk about shamanic Reiki. And I know a lot of my students and, and audience are somewhat familiar with energy healing through Reiki. Uh, shamanic Reiki is a bit of a new term for me. Can you talk about that for a moment? Well, that's Lynn Roberts' book. Oh, is she, it Lynn? Okay. She wrote the book Shamanic Reiki, and uh, it's a marvelous book. She's got a new book coming out this year. Okay. On shape-shifting consciousness. Cool. But uh, Shamanic Reiki is a great book. And, yeah, and she and I teach a, an apprenticeship program, a 16-day apprenticeship program. It's two series, eight days in the fall and eight days in in the spring. And if people want to uh, join us, we'd love to have them do that. Go to dreamchange.org to learn about the next one. We're halfway through one right now. Okay. Uh, and, you know, part part of shape-shifting and, and healing, we teach a, a lot of healing techniques as well as shape-shifting techniques there to make fine. Mm-hmm. And she, part of what she does is shamanic Reiki, but it's it's a magnificent uh, thing. And, you know, she's done a lot of healing work on me. I was very, very ill five years ago, and ah, she okay. really helped me through that by doing it. And I'd strongly recommend to people to get her a book. Mm-hmm. Oh, She's the okay. expert on shamanic Reiki, and I certainly watched her do it a lot, but I'm not the right person to talk about it. Okay. Well, I appreciate that, and I appreciate knowing how we can find out more and about the classes she's teaching. And you'd Thanks. probably, she'd be great on your program. Oh, I would love to interview her. Oh, oh, good. Oh, I know who I'm going to go after next. <laughs> Thanks for bringing that up. I didn't think of that. Do you have any final thoughts or messages, John, that you want to share with us before we finish up here? I think, Val, the most important thing for me to say at this point is that um, I'm very hopeful. I'm not blindly optimistic. Um, Things are not going to just get better. They're getting worse. We have to make them better. And I'm hopeful that we will. I think there's so much going on. You know, we talked about the fifth Pachacuti being a time that started around 2000 with transformation. Well, we've really seen that happening. Yes. In the late 90s, um, we began bringing a lot of shamans to the United States. People became very interested in shamanism. They've yes. been growing ever since. Yes. Uh, the shamans opened up themselves before they'd been very secretive and closed down. But we saw, in fact, that just as in the 1500s, we saw the, 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 the prophecy being realized of the Ego practically destroying the condor. Now we are seeing the ego and condor coming together. It is happening. Yes. And I do, because of my books, that my latest book is called Hoodwinked, which is about the current economic uh, recession. And because of that book and Confessions of an Economic Hitman, I do a lot of lecturing at MBA programs around the country. Good. 
and at, at the university, the, you know, economic conferences, et cetera. And I've seen in the last five years a huge change in attitude among perhaps the most conservative of our students, the, the business students. Five years ago, when I would get together with them for dinner and informally, they would tell me that what they're really interested in is money and power. Yeah. Now none of them say that. And they wow. say they want it, they, they, they know they want to have kids someday and they don't like the world their kids are going to inherit. They want to change it. And I'm seeing this on a huge level. I just came back from a trip to China where I lectured at universities there and I heard the same thing there. I've heard it in Iceland. I've heard it in, in uh, throughout Latin America where I travel extensively lecturing and in the United States and Canada. Uh, I'm very, very encouraged that we are moving into this new Pachacuti, this new period, this 2012 experience. But we've got to be vigilant and every one of us has to take action. So when we talk about giving energy to the dream, that means giving action, taking action, okay. and taking appropriate action that will that will move it forward. Two years ago, I had the amazing opportunity to sit next to the Dalai Lama on an airplane flight from mm-hmm. Leh Ladakh in Jammu, India. Mm-hmm. He was reading my book, Shapeshifting, and mm-hmm. as he walked through the airport, he was carrying my book, and somebody saw him with it and told him I was on the plane, so I ended up staying next to him. How wonderful. It was, and I was re- and talking about these things. And I was reading a book. I mean, excuse me. I was leading a group of about thirty people at the time in, in that part of the world, from, from this part of the world. And so he invited us all to his house afterwards oh, wow. uh, for an afternoon in his living room, talking with him. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that he said, one of the people asked him. He, he said, "You know, somebody in the United States, a writer, is organizing uh, a, a time at noon on a specific date." when we're all going to pray for peace around the world. What do you think of that, Your Holiness? And the Dalai Lama said, well, that's always good. Uh, but he said, we have to remember, but he said, but the one exception is, it isn't good if you pray for peace and then you walk away and say, I've done my job. Mm-hmm. The prayer is good, meditation is good. That's the dream, that's, that's feeling the dream, that's having the intent. But you have to take action. You have to take appropriate action to follow up on your prayers, on your meditations, on your dreams. And if you just say, I've done my prayer and that's it and go about your business, that's no good. Yeah. And I think that's so important, Val, for all of us to recognize okay. that we, we the people, have to get out there and create the world that we want to see. We have to have the dream. We have to give it energy. And in giving it energy, we have to take appropriate action. We can't just complain or talk about it or leave it up to politicians or other leaders. You and I and everybody that's participating in this program has to do it every single day. We have to take action that will create a sustainable, just, and peaceful world for every sentient being on this planet. Well said. Thank you for the work that you're doing and the message you're bringing It's giving me hope. It gives me hope, especially your comment about seeing the shift in the attitude of the business students, right? So shifting the consciousness at that point when they take over and move into the workforce and begin to lead their own companies, um, they're going to be doing the things that we're dreaming, right? The the things that we're bringing into um, our, our world change, shift, and transformation and then we each one take action in our own way as is appropriate, um, being more mindful, more consciously aware, more connected, more honoring and respectful. Whew. Thank exactly. You. And I think it's it's up to each of us to set an, an example for those students, too. They need inspiration. Yes, yes they do. They need so, empowerment. They need mentoring. They do. Yes. So, John, what can our listeners do next uh, to get involved? Well, um, for one thing, they could subscribe to my newsletter at johnperkins.org. They'll have to go on and actively subscribe. And also at dreamchange.org, we have a newsletter. Okay. And participate and involved that way. But I think, you know, everybody that's listening to this program has passion. Yes. And everybody that's listening has talent. And the important thing is to follow your passion and use your talent because if we don't follow our passions, if we do something that our heart doesn't tell us is what we really want to do, we're not usually very successful at it. Right. Whereas if we really follow our hearts, we are successful. 
And if we all follow our passions and use our talents, we can do that in many different ways. You have a radio program, this podcast that I have. I write books and so on, and there's people mm-hmm. doing all different things out there. Yeah. And we can all do it our own way, but if we all head for the same destination, which is to create a sustainable, just, and peaceful world, we can take many different routes, but if we all head to that same destination, yeah. we'll get there. Yes. And we can do it. I think we can do it. I know we can. And have fun doing it. And have fun doing it. Um, okay, so for our listeners, um, you heard the man. Take action. So go to johnperkins.org, dreamchange.org. I know, uh, John, you also have a calendar of, of experiential and shape-shifting events uh, with yes. yourself and Lynn Roberts. Um, check that out. Uh, certainly read your books. Uh, get your books. Um, consider the dream. Uh, that you hold and change it as is appropriate, knowing what you know now. Beautiful. Oh, oh man, I feel refreshed and inspired. Thank you, John. Thank you, Alan. Keep up your great work. I, I appreciate it. That's my passion. <laughs> Bringing heart together, marrying heart to mind. Thank Pachamama. It is your passion. I'm so glad you're doing it. Thank you for what Thank you, you do. Thank you. All right. I will talk to you later. Thank you. Bye. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the show. For more information or to listen to other podcasts, go to valheart.com forward slash blog. And if you're someone who values a non-invasive, holistic solution to resolving problems with your dogs, cats, and horses, and you want better behaved, healthier, and happier animals, just go to my website at valheart.com to apply for a complimentary happy animal assessment session. And be sure and remember to look for my CDs on iTunes. Learning how to talk with animals is fun and will change your life. So while you're there at my site, get my free Quick Start Animal Talk course and check out the world's first complete animal communication made easy system. May the love of animals bless you, teach you, inspire you, heal you, and reconnect you to the circle of life. Mm-hmm.